Well, I'm back. <laughs> hope everybody's doing well today. I hope that the foundation under this church is really solid because we got so many people over here. <laughs> and not so many over here. We might, let's see, we'd be leaning to the right. No, we don't want to go there, but, you know. <laughs> Um, pardon? Yeah, that may be. <laughs> that may be. Well, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you uh, that we're able to gather with our brothers and sisters to seek you, to enjoy you, to praise you, and to learn from you. And we ask that what is said from up here today uh, reflects your desire and affects our hearts today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at Romans 16. And Romans 16, uh, they were friends of Paul. They were powerful people in the church. There were people from all walks of life. We had people from North Africa. We had people from... Rome, we had people from the Middle East, we had uh, maybe one from uh, Spain, we're not sure, but people from all over. And they all served the Lord. I'll let you know the video with, with you know, shine, make them wonder what you got. That was my idea, so if you didn't like it, you can blame me. Um... I just love that song because it affected my life quite a bit at one time. And so how did these people that we talked about from Romans 16, how did they shine for Christ? Well, first, for, their, for the sake of their relationship with Jesus Christ, they lived demonstrating evidence of that relationship by following the commands of Jesus Christ. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now that's a pretty heavy load. Does anybody know how many laws there were that the Jews had to follow from the Old Testament? Well, somebody said something. 613. And they knew them all. Think of that. They knew them all. And then they'd criticize each other if they didn't follow them exactly. Not the greatest thing in the world. Jesus' commandments are far more simple. We just are called to follow them. And then secondly, by these people, by actually figuring out how best to shine for Christ with the spiritual gifts that God had given them. And then third, they showed the love of God by their actions in the church, in the community, and with the people around them. One of my favorite songs has this as its chorus, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather someone walked with me than merely showed the way. Actions speak louder than all the words can say, 
I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. That's what those 26 people did in their lives, is they lived a sermon in their relationships with others. How do we shine for Christ? By being active, by doing the things that he wants us to do. It's important that we put our faith into action. Statistics show that 90% of the work in a church are done by 10% of the people. Think of that. Christ has expectations for us. The expectation is to show our love for him by doing things. A lot of people think, wait, Christ has expectations of us? We got to do things? Yeah. Yeah. Where do we find these expectations? In the Bible. Where in the Bible? As the one little kid said on a TV show or a movie or something one time, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. <laughs> and they are. We just have to find them. Paul said in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow. Useful, the Greek word means also profitable or better than. I mean, if you wanted to go to Visalia, you could walk, right? Be better if you took a bike. It'd be much better if you just got in your car and drove, right? How do we know all these things God wants of us? How do we know what applies to our lives? Well, we can start with Mark 12, 28 through 31. And if you, you'll excuse me a minute. It was right in the range where my glasses, close vision didn't pick it up, far vision didn't pick it up. Anybody here ever have that problem? <laughs> Mark 12, 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love our neighbor as ourself. I love the Lord. Do I put everything, my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength into showing that love? 
And that's something we need to do is show our love. I can sit on the couch and tell my wife all day long that I love her. But if I don't show it, the words are meaningless. We need to put effort into that. We've recently seen the children's service look at different Greek words for love. Remember that? Little felt, the words and all that. The Greek word here for love is agapeo. Different than the word from last week, which is agapateo. Agapio is a verb. Love is a verb. Love is a doing word, something we do. So you might be asking yourself, how do I know what to do? Where do I fit in? When do I take these steps? And this brings us to our first of our three T's this morning, time. Love takes our time, <clears throat> a lot of time. And the first thing it does is we need to take time to learn. What does God expect of us? I mean, we, we don't, man, we don't learn it all overnight. And clearly we can't sit and study the word of God all day and half the night. I'm not a pastor. Okay, that's not what I do. And I don't think any pastor does that. I think pastors spend time in prayer and visiting and, oh man, they're doing, aren't they? Their life is no different than ours. We all have the lives to live. We all need to earn money to support our families. But we still need to time, I'm sorry, we need to spend time with our families. We need time to rest and recuperate. We need to see to our clothing and our food and our transportation. We need time for fellowship and building relationships outside the church. How many of you have friends who are not Christians? Uh, yeah. It's on my Facebook page. If all my friends are Christians, I don't have enough uh, friends. How do we reach people for Christ unless we get involved with them? We need to practice the things that we learn through our time in studying the word of God. We need to set aside time daily to do that. That takes discipline. It takes a realization that this is the world of our enemy. Think about that. This is our, the world of our enemy. He will put anything and everything he can in our way to keep us from following Christ. The average TV is on 11 hours a day. Can you believe that? 11 hours a day. With smartphones, that number dropped. Average time on a smartphone per day is six hours. 
Now, I got some great Bible apps, so I can use that as an excuse while I was reading the Bible. We have sporting events. I quit the NFL a couple years ago, although I loved watching football. But all the shenanigans they were pulling at the beginning of the game and all that, it just, you know, I'm a veteran. It just hit me hard. And so I quit that. Did I replace it with studying the Word of God? A little bit, to be honest with you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.10, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. In other places, he says we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to be in this world, but not of it. And that brings us to the other thing that takes time. Consider the verses commonly called the Great Commission that really applies to all people who call Christ our Savior. Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded of you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples, baptize, and teach them obedience to Jesus' commands. Seems like a lot of work, doesn't it? But do our neighbors know we're Christians? Mike's my neighbor. He knows I am. I know he is. It's pretty easy. But uh, I'm sorry, Mike. I said I wouldn't single you out today, and I, <laughs> I lied. But to understand the commands, it takes a lifetime. Even Charles Spurgeon, the great London preacher who had the biggest church at the time and affected so many lives. He said, I've studied the Bible my whole life and I'm barely beginning to understand the meaning. Studied his whole life. Takes a lifetime. So then, it works like this, right? It's how a lot of people think. Once I understand everything, then I can go out and start doing the things that God has called me to do. No, no, that's not the idea. We start now. We do the things God has called us to do. I call it direction and not perfection. We need to walk in a direction towards the Lord but we're not going to get perfection until we're with him. The Apostle Paul said basically the same thing. His perfection will come in heaven. 
The second thing about time is we need that time to apply what we learn. In loving our neighbor, it requires action on our part. How's your neighbor doing today? Do they need any help? Have they got a leaky faucet? Well, I don't know how to fix a leaky faucet. How many of you guys in here know how to fix a leaky faucet? See, you know what? You know somebody who knows how to fix a leaky faucet. There's no excuse. Pardon? What was that? Somebody mentioned Mary's name. I hit you pretty hard last week, Mary. I didn't want to do that again this week. Oh, Larry. Gotcha. Larry. Larry. Little hard of hearing up here. I'm sorry. They went through it a few weeks ago with the uh, children's uh, message up here. Who is our neighbor? And in Luke 10, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan who took basically what was an enemy and took care of him. Didn't beat him up, didn't kick him while he was down. He took care of him and actually paid for his care. That's pretty impressive. That's our neighbor, anyone who has need. Paul said in Acts 20, you yourselves know these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remember, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you feel that in your hearts? How many of you feel really good when you do something? And, and you bless somebody. It's a double blessing, isn't it? You get blessed yourself. We must help the weak, it says. And weak means feeble, powerless, needy, poor, sick. That Greek word combines all that stuff in there. This might be a little harsh, but James used seven verses to clearly say it, it takes faith in Christ, but that faith is demonstrated by the things that we do, by our works. To shine for Jesus, here's, a, here's what he says. He says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, I have, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus, he says. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. We walk around, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. But we need to show it. We need to show these things. And I'm looking here. I see a lot of people who show those things in their life. But all of us can do something. Our Sunday services need volunteers. We need greeters. We need Sunday school teachers. 
and I guarantee you most of the kids don't bite. Uh, we need snacks for the fellowship time after church. We need help with the music. We need a liturgist. We need, there's lots of needs this church has. We need to do those things. And whatever God puts on us, that's what we need to do. And that brings us to our next T, talent. We've talked about time. Now we're going to talk about talent. Most of us have a rough time figuring out what we're going to have for dinner, let alone figure out what God wants to do with our lives. Right? My wife and I have the discussion every day. What do you want for dinner, honey? I don't know. What do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you think we'll do? Well, let's just, let's just, you make your dinner and I'll make mine. And, you know? How do we discover the talents God has given us? Does everybody understand they've all been given some gift from God to do God's work here on earth? I want to tell you this. I heard it mentioned the other day. I can take a, a spiritual gifts test and find out what my spiritual gifts are. And I want to tell you, no. Those tests use non-biblical concepts to determine current personality traits and then equate those traits with spiritual gifts. But what if God wants you to go in a completely different direction? That's what happened to me. I don't want to teach. I don't want to teach the Bible at all. Get that away from me. The place I work for, they give me a personality test. I don't fit in that kind of relationship. Can't happen. I ended up spending 10 years as a pastor of a church. I don't get it, Lord. Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. All right, but I'm afraid of what God is going to have me do. I don't want to do just anything for the Lord. Said my friend Jim, who was a janitor at a high school, and ended up spending 18 years in Uganda as a missionary. Don't be afraid of what God will give you. Don't be afraid of those gifts. Don't be afraid to ask. This uh, section goes on. It says, "Or what of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will, you, will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We just ask. Ask God how he wants you to serve. Ask God how, what he wants you to do. 
Don't argue with him when he gives you an opportunity. Even when you don't think it would work. Like Sunday school, I can't do this. It's not my thing. But God can work it out. God will give you that gift that he wants you to use. Isn't that amazing? little caution I want to give you. Don't ask God what he wants you to do when you already know what you want him to say. Does that make sense? I'm old, my back hurts, I can't do that. My bunions are killing me. Got a bum leg. My dear Uncle Vern, great man, great man, contracted multiple sclerosis in 1962. Shortly before his death in 1989, I went down to his home. He lived about 60 miles away. Here's a man who couldn't feed himself, had virtually no control of his arms or his legs. He couldn't do anything on his own. And I got to his house and his wife told me he was at the church. Now what my dear Uncle Vern could do at this time is he had a motorized wheelchair that he controlled by blowing puffs of air into a little tube. You know, one puff for stop, two for go, three for turn right, four for turn left. I don't remember all the details of it, but that's what he had. So I drove the block, block and a half down to the church and I, and I parked on the street and he's there in his powered wheelchair. And I watched as he removed, maneuvered his way around the church. And the second time around, I got out of the truck to meet him and I said, what are you doing? And he said in those deep, slow, breathy words, I'm praying for the church. And it broke my heart. I'm this big construction superintendent. I can do anything at the time. At the time, I want you to know things have changed. <laughs> it was all he could do. Death was imminent. He knew that. But he could pray. That was the gift God gave him, gave him at that time of his life. We can all do something. We can all participate in God's plan for what we are to do as Christians. So we got time, we got talent. Let's move on to tithe because that's always a touchy one. Most pastors are afraid to teach about money 
And I figure, hey, I'm up here. Why not take the shot, huh? How much do we give? How much do we tithe? Jesus taught his disciples to give. The apostle Paul frequently taught about the taught the early church about giving. But neither Paul nor Jesus or any other passage in the New Testament compels people to tithe, which just means a tenth. Did you know that? That idea of tithe has no concept in the New Testament. That 10% was given in the Old Testament. And then they had special offerings to take care of other things. The only time the word tithe is used is twice in the New Testament. And it's used when Jesus condemned tithe givers of being absolutely ridiculous in their tithing. How are they ridiculous? You buy pepper in a can? You dump out the pepper? Like a pharmacist sorting pills, you start sorting the pepper. One for God, nine for me. One for God. And they actually did that. I can just see him getting this little pile of pepper for the Lord and this bigger pile over here. And then going, did I just put in eight or nine? <laughs> now I got to start all over. And what do I do with the grill mate's lamb barbecue seasoning? It's got so many things in it. I had one pastor to church I attended for a while ask me if I tithed to the church and if I did, how much. That was my last Sunday in the church. Seriously. What we give is between me and the Lord. It's nobody else's business what you give. And I'm getting stretched out here. Come on, get up here. There we go. Principle number one in giving is Matthew 6, 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this word needy includes charity, giving alms, just general giving. What you give is between you and God. And the little allegory about don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing means it's up to you what you give and nobody else. Principle number two, the Lord comes first. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. First fruits meaning you give to him first. No matter what it is. 
when you're paying your bills, buying your groceries, and all the other things we spend money on, you give to the Lord first. That's a principle. How much is up to you. I had one guy tell me, well, a tenth is a good starting point. You know, praise God for that. Principle number three, don't worry, be happy. You may think that's silly, but 2 Corinthians 9, 7, part of it's on our little tithe box back there, our not tithe, giving box back there. It says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. No, I didn't fall, I'm okay. I love my watch. If I fall, it'll call 911. But we don't want them showing up here today. Maybe we do. Maybe we want to preach to the EMS guys. I don't know. This is an amazing verse about giving. Consider the four points in this verse. Number one, you give what you've decided in your heart. Pray, look at your finances, give what you can. Number two, if you're reluctant, having second thoughts about what you're going to give, don't do it. It says right there. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. And so that's point three. If somebody's pressuring you, don't do it. The worst example of tithing I ever saw, I visited a church, a local church for a guy and and. I went in there with them. It's a good-sized church. And the pastor said, we need to raise X number of dollars very soon. So what we're going to do is we're going to wait here until people make enough pledges to get to the amount of money that we need to raise. Wow. Slowly, people began to stand up and pledge an amount. And then all the other people would start clapping. Yay! And I'm thinking, yeah, that's money they don't have to give, you know? And the weird part is, is they, they, people would not be outdone. I pledge $1,000. Next guy stood up, I pledge $1,200. Got out to where people were pledging $10,000. And the more they pledged, the more glory they got, and the more the people clapped. And I was so disgusted. It was a horrible display of pride and greed, and I'm better than you, and, and, and all that, and, and just made me sick. But there are churches that do that. Number four, give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. Be happy with what you're giving. The Greek word is hilaros. Anybody guess what word we get from hilaros? Hilarious. Hilarious. 
Give happily. Give with joy. Laugh because you can give what you can give. God doesn't look at the amount. He looks at the heart. And he looks at the sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 8, 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They weren't doing well, but still they found something to give. And in this one, Luke 21, 2, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Giving is a sacrifice. I mean, we live in difficult times. I know a family who lost 75% of their income due to the COVID thing. They're barely recovering right now. They get calls from bill collectors. Pay me, pay me, pay me. And the biggest struggle they feel is in their giving. But God knows their situation. God knows where they're at. New Testament teaches us to give generously and even at times sacrificially but not to the point of depriving ourselves of our basic needs. In other words, you might be eating hot dogs instead of steak for a while. That's okay. It's a sacrifice you're making to God. Our giving needs to spring from our own free choice. We're thinking about God's desire for us. When we recognize all that God has done for us, we want to offer ourselves humbly and wholly to God as living sacrifices of worship. The Lord looks at our giving and he uses it to mature our faith. It grows our dependence on him. And one quote I, I came up with, it didn't give the guy who quoted it, it said that financial giving is not God's way of raising money, but of developing character and children and his children. Does God need our money? No. He owns everything anyway. But it's our hearts. It's us that get developed through our giving. Our giving flows freely when we look at when we realize that our hearts need to be filled with gratitude and indebtedness to the Christ who died on the cross for us and took away our sins. So to wrap up, God made us, God saves us, God desires we serve him with the gifts that he gives us. And there are so many needs out there. So many people need help. And it's not just money. It's 
physical help. It's emotional help. It's encouragement when somebody's going through tough times. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Can you imagine that? Everyone has a gift. Everyone. That gift is not for our good. It's not for us to glory in. It's not to draw attention to ourselves. I didn't want to teach the Bible. Did not. But God put me in that position. And this is another Uncle Vern story, so just to show you the kind of man he was. I had the opportunity to preach at his church on a Wednesday evening. It was a church that was bigger than this one, not much, but bigger than this one. And my Uncle Vernon wasn't feeling real well, so I didn't know if he was going to make it or not. But at the last minute, my Aunt Carmen was pushing him in in his wheelchair, and he sat right down in front, right there. And I had gotten a bit cocky about this gift God had given me. By cocky, I mean I thought it was mine. It was me. I can do it. And my Uncle Vernon was there, and I was going to show him I could preach. And I preached what I thought was a pretty good message. And when I was done, I jumped down off the stage, and I went to him, and I said, Thanks for being here, Uncle Vern. I appreciate it so much. I know you're not feeling well, and I pray that you'll get better. And my Uncle Vern looked at me and snapped back because his mind was pretty sharp. And he said, I pray you'll get better too. <laughs> he taught me a lesson. He taught me a lot of lessons I'll never forget. It's a rough road we go on sometimes. A rough road. Have I talked enough or you got you want a little more time or keep going? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Just let me know. Thumbs up. Okay. All right. I got a little bit here. I'll tell you my story. My gift was a gift given to be... Bezella and Aholiab in the Old Testament. You ever heard of those guys? Just to show you, God gives gifts in many different ways. Exodus 36, 1. So Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. I was Mr. Construction, man. I just finished a, 
a General Motors stamping plant in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Huge project. And they transferred me out here to California to do Corcoran State Prison. If you've ever been out there, it's pretty big. And so we bought a home in Visalia at the time. I'm from California. It was good to be back in California from all the different traveling I did. Found a church that my cousin recommended to us. And I got involved. Uh, you know, we met in a temporary facility, so setting up the church on Saturday evening, tearing the church down uh, Sunday afternoon, rolling up the carpets, putting all the chairs back, and all that kind of stuff. Been there about a year. And uh, the pastor of the church said, we need to start another home group in your area. Can we use your house? Sure, why not? But I'm not going to teach. He says, you don't have to. We got a guy to teach it. You teach it. Well, we started with eight people. The guy who taught it clearly was not gifted in teaching. Um, it was pretty bad, and soon we were down to four people. Um, and people were talking about leaving, and I talked to the pastor about it. His comment was the pastor wanted wanted was one or the guy was wanting to stop anyway. Why don't you do the teaching? And I said, No, it ain't going to happen. It's not my gift. I know it's not my gift. I can yell at people. I can bring them into my office and explain plans to them. I can do this, I can do that, but I cannot teach. It's not going to happen, period. I was adamant. The next two weeks, the guy didn't show up. And I had these people. So what do we do? What are we going to do? Well, angrily and reluctantly, I picked up my Bible and the notes I was making and just went over those with people. I'm not teaching. I'm just going over my notes. And the next week we had eight people. Within a month we had 12. And I about fell out of my chair. Maybe God was using me. Maybe this was a gift. And I'm just saying that to let you folks know Nothing about me. God is awesome in the way he gifts us. And he can gift you in ways that you could never imagine. Ever. If you just turn your hearts towards him. <laughs>